This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast, sponsored by Cards Accepted. It's me, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, hello, how are you? How's your week been? Uh, not too bad, mate, not too bad. Feels weird recording on a Thursday morning. I don't think we've ever recorded as early as this in our three or four years, maybe more, doing this podcast. But yeah, I'm I'm not too bad. Apart from a bit of a, a cold and a cough, so I do apologise in advance if I start coughing mid-sentence. But other than that, I'm not too bad. Has it been a more normal sort of week for you? Things died down a bit at Ewood Park after the mental end to the transfer window? Not normal in inverted <laughs> commas for Blackburn Rovers, sure. Um, yeah, it has been a bit more of normality which has been nice obviously they did eventually push the button on JDT's exit and John Eustace coming in as we expected when we spoke on last week's podcast and we'll touch on that a little bit briefly but on today's episode we are going to do a big recap of the midweek action I suppose part of the benefit of moving the podcast to the end of the week albeit we wanted to zoom out and do some of the bigger picture stuff is the fact that we can at least do a bit more in-depth on the midweek action so Although we're not going to go through every single game blow by blow, um, we are going to go through all the fi- through most of the fixtures and, and just look at the table, see what it means. There's a dozen fixtures to go or so, George, and it really feels like the importance of each result is ramping up week on week at the moment as we enter the final dozen and the race for the automatic places, the, play- the race for the playoffs and the battle to avoid the drop have significantly um, gone up in the last few weeks. We'll start at the top of the table. Leicester City with their regulation win. They beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-0 um, at the King Power Stadium. A bit of a gift for the opening goal, a mistake from a combination of James Beadle and, and Will Volts giving the ball to Abdul Fatawu for, for 1-0. Nice little step over from Vardy in the middle um, as he tucked in at the back post. And then Jamie Vardy scored against his boyhood club for 2-0. Um, and Leicester pretty comfortable from that. Sheffield Wednesday, after a good win against Birmingham, failing to build on that, but certainly no great shock or, or great shame, really, to lose at the King Power. That is not going to dictate whether Danny Real's side stay up or not. Perhaps more interestingly, George, away from Leicester, is the battle for second place, because we'll run through the results first, and then we can pick through what it means. Southampton, their 24-game unbeaten run is over at the hands of Bristol City. They were beaten 3-1 at Ashton Gate. Ipswich Town responded. They won 4-0 at Millwall and, and really putting the lines to the sword. And that, that's interesting from both ends of the table. And Leeds United sweeping aside Swansea City with a 4-0 win at two. Let's start at Ashton Gate with the team that were in second heading into this run of th- this midweek match day. Southampton. As I say, previously, a club record 24 beaten games. Bristol City hadn't won since Boxing Day before the weekend, um, before they, they ended that run. And then they followed it up with a really, really impressive performance. Perhaps their most impressive performance under Liam Manning since he came in. Um, and, and I think we saw that South, at Southampton at the weekend, they, they looked a little bit shaky. They weren't up to quite their usual standards against Huddersfield, albeit they got over the line. But at Bristol City, they, they were susceptible on the counter-attack and, and I thought Bristol City ex- exacted their game plan so, so well. They, they are clearly a team that has got a lot of quality in transition. 
Sam Bell's been a, a, a fine championship performer for a, a, you know for the last eighteen months now. Rob Dickey with a with a goal as well, and Harry Cornick, who's someone that's really his Bristol City career's never really kicked off. Um, it feels like since he joined from Luton Town sort of thirteen months ago, he's very much had to make do with being a substitute under Liam Manning. And he took his goal really well. A good counter-attack. McCorry um, getting the ball across and a, an emphatic finish from Cornick. And his pace on the counter-attack, Sam Bell, Mametti, they've got options in those forward areas um, with Williams and James just at the base, just screening. Let's Jason Knight get in support of Conway. Um, Naki Wells came off the bench as well. And th- this was a really, really good performance from, from Bristol City. And, Probably a really good blueprint for other teams on how to beat Southampton. Now, you're going to have to take your chances. You're going to have to ride your luck a little bit at the other end. And you're going to have to rely on your goalkeeper to make some important saves. But the way they cut Southampton open on the counter-attack time after time was really, really impressive. It certainly was. I've got to be honest and admit that I've not seen a lot of Bristol City under Liam Manning. The only game that I've seen under them properly was the FA Cup replay against West Ham. In January, that was that was televised. I didn't see the game on Tuesday night against Southampton, but I've seen the highlights. And like you said, continuously they cut them apart with their with their play on the transition and on the break. And when you break that Bristol City team down man for man, there are some really really exciting young players in that team. You've mentioned Sam Bell there, but you look at Jason Knight, for example. He's kicked on in recent weeks. They've also got the likes of Tommy Conway and you've got players like that, young, exciting prospects who are still miles away from reaching their respective ceilings. So there's a lot of talent within those ranks and Liam Manning is considered still as an up-and-coming coach. Obviously, he did a very, very good job at MK Dons in his time there. Did well at Oxford till he got poached by Bristol City. So it's clear that there's a good, young British manager in there in Liam Manning and the results have been up and down since he's come in. There's no denying that. It has been a bit helter-skelter, if you like. But in the main, it's not been too bad. They've only suffered three defeats, Bristol City, in the league since the 12th of December when they lost to Blackburn Rovers. So they have been on a been on a pretty good run overall. And you mentioned there that win over Southampton. We've, we've not spoken since last weekend's action where, of course, they went to Middlesbrough and won. So it's been a fantastic week for Bristol City. Six points from six from two really, really difficult fixtures. One of them, obviously, against a team that... Are, are chasing the the same goal, if you like, in terms of a playoff finish. And then another one that's been on that incredible run that Southampton were on, not losing since September. And I just feel maybe for Southampton, was it a case of perhaps a step too far after how much energy they had to put in in the second half in that bonkers, bonkers game against Huddersfield last Saturday with that 5-3 win? But all good things come to an end and it was going to happen at some stage. Everything, every good running football, no matter what league you play and no matter what team you are, comes to an end at some point. So as Russell Martin said, Southampton's season now will now rest on how they respond to this setback. That's the big thing for him now. He's got to see how they can get back on track. Can they get back on the bike? As you, you, know, as you say, at the first attempt. So we'll see on that. But for Bristol City, a marvellous victory and one that, one that drags them into the the playoff battle, albeit they're on the periphery a little bit still, but they are only four points off the top six as it stands. There's a little bit of traffic between themselves and Coventry, but as we've seen, there's currently four teams on 48 points now in this battle for seemingly the final playoff place. West Brom just slowly begins to tighten their grip on fifth spot, and I'm sure we'll touch on that as well. But for Bristol City, as we say, a, f- a fantastic few days for them. Middlesbrough away three points, Southampton home three points. It couldn't have gone any better. And to have scored five goals, conceding just two as well, 
And, you know, to have kept Southampton out from open play, Adam Armstrong and he's scoring via the spot in the last few moments of the game is a really, really impressive victory. And for Liam Manning now, can those two victories be turned into three victories? Can they be turned into four? Can they put, put a little bit of run together just to put a bit of pressure on those in front of them? But fantastic week, some good quality in that Bristol City team. And it's, you know, it's quite an interesting time to think where could this team go in the next few weeks? Yeah, if you're Southampton in particular, the last thing you want to see after you've slipped up Ash Nate is to come in and see two nil-four away victories from the two teams breathing right down your neck. Leeds United in particular, mm. putting Swansea City to the sword. They were 3-0 up after 35 minutes. Uh, Crescenti of Somerville con- continuing his um, his attempts to win the Player of the Year award with, with another goal. He has been in sensational form, probably. Player of the year at the moment in the championship, certainly. How old is he? Would he qualify for young player? Maybe. If he wasn't player, he'd be young player. He's been absolutely sensational in the last two or three months for Daniel Farker's side. Joel Perot back on the score sheet. Wasn't even set to start this game, um, but Patrick Bamford pulled up in the warm-up, so he got chucked in against his former club. Scores after 10 minutes. And Willie Nonto as well, someone who's obviously had to bide his time, has been on the periphery after losing his place. Um, with Dan James and Somerville in such exceptional form. He's, he's, he's obviously had to play out of position on the right-hand side as well. I think if you come into the Championship season and said Willie Nonto's going to have to play out of position and be sort of third-choice winger at Leeds United in the Championship, we'd have all gone, what the hell's gone on there? But he's, in fairness to him, he's come back in, he's knuckled down and he's scoring, he's scored some really important goals, scored against Rotherham, scored the winner at Bristol City, got two here, the third and the fourth. Um, which were, were really well-taken goals. And Leeds United just look devastating at the moment. They're, they're in fantastic form. And then you've got Ipswich as well, winning 4-0 at Millwall. Um, this is obviously double-pronged because Millwall in, in in a bit of poor shape themselves, as we'll come on to. But they, they just got the job done again early. It feels like Ipswich, obviously they've drawn a lot of games. I think it's, what is it, one win in eight overall before the midweek games. Um, they've drawn a lot, but it feels like the performances have still been pretty pretty solid, pretty good. They've always been a bit leaky defensively, and they've probably not quite had the prolificacy. They've not quite had the maybe some of the rub of the green at times in both eighteen yard boxes, and and that's probably been the difference to Millwall uh, to Ipswich smashing teams at the start of the season versus dropping a few points. However, that said, it, it felt like a result of this nature has been coming. Four 0 winners. Nathan Broadhead, a, a very comical own goal from Wes Harding, turning in again a Broadhead cross. Um, Broadhead's not been in the team for the last couple of weeks. You know he's been rotated out, and I think that's maybe put a bit of a rocket up him because he was absolutely fantastic in this game. Um, Kiefer Moore headed in the third, and the Sky commentator described it as a bullet. I'm not sure. Can it be a bullet header if it bounces before it goes in? I'm I'm, I'm not sure. We'll leave football cliches on that one, but. For me, I don't think you can have a bullet header if you head it into the ground and it bounces once, maybe even twice before it goes over the line. And then Ali Alhamidi getting his first goal in Ipswich Colours as well um, from the penalty spot. He's looked lively since he arrived from AFC Wimbledon in January. So that means at the top of the table, George, Leeds United are in second, played 32, 66 points, won all of their last five games. Southampton now in third, got a game in hand, 31 played, 64 points, four of their last five are victories. Ipswich, 31, 63 points, uh, won two of their last five with two draws and a defeat in there as well. So 
if it's conceivable that if Southampton and Ipswich were to win their games in hand, you would have Southampton on 67 points, Leeds United on 66 and Ipswich on 66, separated by goal difference. And let's not forget, Leeds United host Southampton on the final day of the season. It is shaping up to be a fantastic automatic promotion race. And the way that they're picking up points, you know, if you look at all three teams, Leeds, two points per game, over two points per game. Southampton, over two points per game. Ipswich, over two points per game. It is not out of the realms of possibility that all four of these teams, including Leicester, would be champions in previous seasons gone by. I think Leeds, Southampton, Ipswich probably all would have got promoted in last year's championship. I think they're probably all stronger than Sheffield United were. Certainly, is that harsh? No, I think they probably. I think all three of them are, are better than Blades were last year, and it just, it just, it's going to be really exciting. Where would you put your two pen, two pennies if you were having a little bet at this stage? Where, who, what, what's your sort of take of the situation and where do you think it, it could be won and lost in the next few weeks? It's really, really difficult to say. For all those weeks and months that we sort of felt Ipswich are going to run away with second spot, they'd put quite a bit of daylight between Leeds and Southampton. Now, all of a sudden, they are right breathing down each other's necks, if you like. Leeds' start to this calendar year has been absolutely unbelievable. It has been remarkable. Seven wins out of seven in the league, nine wins out of ten in league and cup. The clean, the clean sheets are being racked up as well. They've, they've conceded one goal in seven league games, and that was only against Preston in that two-one win. So six clean sheets in seven. Leeds are the team with the bulk of the form behind them now, but you can't really disregard Southampton having just lost one game in like twenty-three league matches. You you can't just suddenly sort of say, oh, they're having going to have a wobble. Even though I must say, I'm very much looking forward to their trip to West Brom on Friday night, tomorrow night as we record this. That could be a really interesting game. Quite a big test for Southampton to try and respond because West Brom, as we know, are absolutely fabulous at the Hawthorns. That should be a good game on Friday night. But I think you look at Leeds at the moment and they are just, they're not just winning games, they're, they're threatening to tear teams apart as well. They, they pulled let, Rotherham let apart. Let me chuck some numbers behind that point because I totally agree. Legion United haven't conceded more than a goal, George, since Boxing Day. Yeah, one nil defeat at West Brom. 3-0 win against Birmingham. 3-0 FA Cup win over Peterborough. 3 nil at Cardiff. 2-1 at home to Preston. 1-0 Norwich. Um, 1-0 away at Bristol City. 3-0 at home to Rotherham. 4-0 at Swansea. It's the, the relentlessness of these performances and the goals they're scoring. But how, how well they're keeping them out the back as well. That's the thing. It's working at both ends of the pitch. Daniel Farkas struck a perfect blend. As, as I've said numerous times this season... I firmly believe that Leeds have got the most exciting sort of front four in the division when they're on song. Crescencio, Somerville's numbers are just getting better and better. Joel Perot, even though he's not been starting games regularly recently, we know what he's capable of at this level. Nonto's gone up through the gears in the last two or three weeks. Rutter's been an assist machine. And I think the thing for me, I'm just looking at Leeds' next crop of games. Leeds have got a really good opportunity. If they can sort of maintain this level of pressure and performance they're producing... They've got a chance to really sort of put a foothold on this second place. Aside from this game with Leicester City next Friday night, which looks like it could be an absolute belter under the road at Ellen Lights a week on Friday, their next five games shape up as being Plymouth away this coming weekend, then the game with Leicester, then Huddersfield away, Stoke at home, then Sheffield Wednesday away, and then Millwall at home for good measure before we go into the March international break. So that's Leeds' next six. Leicester aside... 
they go into all of them, possibly even the Leicester game on current form, they go into them all as overwhelming favourites. Leeds obviously still unbeaten at Ellen Road as well. That's going to be really, really key. They've been really, really good at home this season. So they're at the, at the moment on current form, they're probably the team to watch out for and you would possibly lean towards. But like I said, Southampton, it's one defeat in September. You can't just suddenly dismiss them because they've lost one game. And you can't dismiss Ipswich either. They're still right in the thick of this. And you've got to credit Ipswich really for just keeping up pace with these two. Bearing in mind, Southampton Leeds were Premier League size last year and Ipswich were down in League One. This is a total mismatch on paper, realistically, with the funds available and the resources. But Ipswich have done a phenomenal job just to be even in this race. And potentially they could still come out on top in this three in this three team race to clinch second spot. I think we're all automatically admitting now Leicester have got the title sealed and, and won. I, I can't see them being caught. They're almost at 80 points already, which in it's just ridiculous, isn't it? 80 points almost in mid-February. It's absolutely crazy. But it's a three-man race. You mentioned there Southampton, Ipswich have this game in hand on Leeds. If they win that, it's going to be even tighter. So it could go all the way. It could go down to that final day shootout between Southampton and Leeds, which we've spoke about many, many times. And I think we will it many more times in the next few weeks and months. But let's just say one thing, whoever does win this, it's going to take a phenomenal effort because none of them are showing any real signs of weakness. Yes, Southampton lost in midweek, but it's one defeat in September. It's, it's an incredible run. But at the minute, if I had a gun held to my head and said, who's going to get second place? I think I'd have to lean towards Leeds because the run of form and the way they're playing and the way they're keeping the ball out the net and scoring at the other end, they look the real deal at the minute. They look like they've really stepped up a gear, don't they, in the last few weeks? They do. I mean, seven wins in a row at this level is unbelievable. It's a remarkable achievement. And how many times have we spoken about Southampton's squad players stepping up? Sekumara, Fraser, we spoke about that in depth when they went on their run. Leeds now getting a lot out of Nonto. Bamford's come in and and become a starter. Um, Ampadu playing at the back now with Gruev in midfield, who's come in and done a really good job alongside Kamara. Archie Gray is still the right back, um, even though we probably all expect him to sort of drift out the team at times when Byron got uh, when Firpo got fit. So Byron would go to right back, or um, when Connor Roberts came in in January, Archie Gray still holding that position. So Leeds look like they've got a really strong fifteen or sixteen ready to contribute for Daniel Farker. He's been here before. He knows how to navigate a run in, and it's going to be fascinating to see how how they develop over the next few weeks. In terms of the playoff places, you spoke about West Brom tightening their grip on fifth place. They beat Cardiff City 2-0. Um, I want to talk about, well, first we should talk about uh, Mickey Johnson, who scored after literally less than a minute on his West Brom debut on loan. Um, I want to talk about Tom Fellows, though, because he's really come in and added some sparkle to the, this West Brom team on the right-hand side. Academy product, um, left-footed, plays on the right-hand side, and he's become a, a real favourite of... Um, Carlos Corbran since he came in to the side. He, he had a loan spell with Crawley, which was relatively underwhelming, actually, last season. Only um, thir- well made 38 appearances, didn't score any goals. So to make that step up um, straight into the West Brom team and the, the fact that he, you know, I think of all the sort of head coaches to try and find your way through as a young attacking player, Corbran, you, you so, he asked so much of his players defensively and tactically it might not always be the easiest for a young player because that the, you know they're so focused on what they've got doing with the ball and trying to develop those aspects of the play. But Fellow's clearly more than capable of, of doing the defensive side of the work for Corbrand, or he simply wouldn't get into the team 
Um, and he's been so, so good. He was really lively when I watched him live um, for West Brom against Blackburn, uh, what, a month ago or so ago when they won 4-1. Um, and yeah, Mickey Johnson as well on the score sheet. Vyman's been a good, good addition. He's got a couple of key goals, scored against Birmingham, scored against Cardiff as well to make it 2-0. And, you know, West Brom... They haven't got the deepest squad, but they, you know, they were able to rotate a little bit in this one. You know, you've got Eric Peters at centre back with Bartley out injured and Ajay still coming back from Afcon. Um, you've got Fellows, you've got Mickey Johnson. You know, Jed Wallace wasn't involved. Um, you've got Adam Reach on the bench, Chalibur. Uh, Wallace was on the bench as I say he came on, so they've got a few options now, and it, and it does feel like West Brom. We know how good they are at the Hawthorns. We know how um, how dangerous they can be against big sides, particularly away from home. We saw them frustrate Ipswich and, and enact a really good game plan. And although they throw in these odds, you know, the 1-0 at Swansea, the 2-0 the, the at Norwich, which is probably what separates them from being a top two side, even if the points threshold wasn't so high with Ipswich, Southampton and Leeds, they probably are consistent enough or the most consistent of the best of the rest to get into that top six uh, and to, to probably finish in fifth. Yeah, definitely. You look at their, their their recent run of form and it's five successive home wins. That is where West Brom have sort of laid the grounds for what's looking like it's going to be another successful playoff tilt. You know, I, I look at West Brom and when you draw comparisons between their team and the likes of Leeds and, and say, Southampton, for example, they're not littered with star-studded household names. It's just a very well-oiled machine that is consistently a 7, 8 out of 10. They get results. Yeah, you mentioned there the the odd lapses like at Swansea, Norwich, defeat to Middlesbrough just before Christmas. But on the whole, West Brom, they're a good side. They're a really, really good team. And like we've said, particularly at home, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. Their record under Carlos Corberan at home is just absolutely unbelievable. I think it's 21 victories from 31 league games at home since he took charge in October 22. I think that's correct. I haven't got the numbers written down to hand, but from memory, I was looking at it yesterday and I think it is 21 wins from 31, which is very impressive. But it's the clean sheets as well at home. They've only conceded one goal in the last five at home in the five games that they've won. And let's not forget, they were seconds away from winning Ipswich at the weekend. I watched that game. <clears throat> Excuse me. And West Brom, for the most part, were really, really good. And young Tom Fellows got the opening goal. Excellent burst of pace from him and a really good finish. And I've been impressed from what I've seen from that young man in the last few weeks. He looks the real deal and could have a very bright future in the game. But you mentioned there about Andy Vyman. It's just a little bit of experience added to the top end of the pitch, particularly it now with... a smart bit of business, didn't it, when he it came does in because for a low fee? It does, because when you think about Andy Vyman, a couple of years ago, he was a goal-scoring machine for Bristol City. He was banging them in week after week after week. He tailed off a little bit last year. Didn't really get going this year and they've made the decision to let him go on go on loan for the rest of the season. And West Brom are going to benefit from that. Like I say, a little bit of sprinkling of experience at the top end of the pitch to support Brandon Thomas Asante, who's done really, really well this year. And of course, it unfortunately now covers the absence of Daryl DK, who of course faces another long spell on the sidelines. So we wish him well, really unfortunate. But I think for West Brom now, you look at their next few games, particularly before the international break in March, and they've got some potentially big fixtures, certainly within their next four. They've got Southampton, as we've mentioned, on Friday night, tomorrow as we record this. Then they've got Plymouth away next uh, next midweek. Then they've got back-to-back -back games against fellow playoff competitors, both looking over, you know, hunting on West Brom in Hull and Coventry City. So they're two really, really big games. 
for West Brom, certainly to try and just tighten their grip. Because if they were to lose both of those, they're just going to be reeled in a little bit by those in sort of seventh and eighth place just to put a little bit more pressure on. So I still think West Brom will finish in the top six. I really do. I think they've just got that consistency at home to get the job done. And I think it'll be the home form that pulls them through. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see them beat Southampton on Friday night with that home record. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. I think they've got it in them. So next few weeks, certainly big for West Brom, but ticking along very, very nicely at the moment. Seven wins, uh, seven points in the last nine available. So easily could have been nine out of nine as well with that Ipswich draw. But let's be honest, beating Birmingham and Cardiff at home got a point at Ipswich on the last three. So it's a pretty good return, seven from nine. So Carlos Corberan, with everything going off in the background there that's gone on, continues to defy the odds, doing a brilliant job. And like I say, they just look a well-oiled, solid machine that you know nine times out of ten is going to get the job done. Yeah, some suggestion that the takeover is edging ever closer as well, which obviously would be a major, major relief um, to West Brom supporters. Of those chasing sixth place, George, Coventry drew two all at Plymouth. 96th minute equaliser from Ellis Sims to get them a point. Um, and then you had Norwich. They beat Watford 4-2. They're right in amongst it are the Canaries, despite what, what feels like more fans than not still wanting a change in the dugout. Very strange. It would be one of the funniest promotions ever if they somehow got in the playoffs and got promoted. Hull City came from behind to beat Rotherham United and, and Preston beating Middlesbrough 2-1 as well. Preston in great form. Someone I definitely want to touch on them in a moment. Let's talk about the Canaries, though. A 4-2 win over Watford. And they, they've been in such good form recently, Norwich. Probably a little bit under the radar. Probably we haven't spoken about them enough um, for them to be level on points with Coventry in seventh. Ashley Barnes and Josh Sargent coming back, particularly Sargent, has made such a difference to this team, as it would any team. Like you know, it's not a, it's not a groundbreaking um, bit of analysis to suggest a team missing their two best strikers, having them back fit would suddenly provide more goals. Um, Borgia Science has in particular stepped up as well, though he's. Really got such a great catalogue of championship goals this season. Every goal he seems score seems to be a worldie. Um, although the worldie in this game certainly came from Yasser Espria. What a hit that was! Um, that made it free. That made it two all at the time. In fact, so you have to credit Norwich City because having scored really early through Barnes, through Sargent, um, they got a two 0 lead. Watford pulled that back. Rajevic and an unbelievable hit from Yasser Espria from distance. It would be quite easy for the atmosphere to get a little bit toxic again. Uh, and under David Wagner, that, that has been the case at Carrow Road. So to go again, to get themselves back in front through Sarah pretty quickly after, fast knacked off the bench as well. They, they, they've been really impressive in the last few weeks, and probably since the turn of the year, to be honest, the, the, the form they've shown, having Sargent and Barnes back in the team, having Borges signs contributing in the way that he has as well. Norwich right in the thick of this, um, albeit things don't still seem quite, harmonised within the fan base at times. But credit to Ben Napper because he's come in, the new director of football, and everyone was calling for him to make an immediate decision, sack David Wagner, bring in a new manager. But he's took his time. He's watched results play out. And in fairness, they've got some clutch results. I still go back to that comeback at Cardiff, which probably saved Wagner his job um, with the late goals from from John Rowan and Adam Eder. And now they've got Barnes and... Sergeant fit, Science is playing really well. Sarah's been fantastic in midfield all season. They seem a little bit better at the back, albeit I still think that they're probably short at centre back. But Gunn's had a good season in goal. Stacey's been a decent pickup. They, they they could be one to watch Norwich, especially if they start 
you know, especially if things start to come together a little bit more off the pitch to to marry with the performances that have improved on the pitch. Definitely. And first and foremost, the return of Josh Sargent has made such an impact on this team. He's scored four goals in his last five games now. And he looks like a player that they've been missing at the top end of the pitch, who is sort of that prolific goal scorer that they can rely on. And he's really stepped up. And I think another one you've got to mention, as you've said, is Borja Sainz. He looks a really talented player. And even though he's been there since the summer, he's sort of taken a little bit of time to adjust and get going. And in the last few weeks, sort of really since just before Christmas, he's really stepped up and proven himself as a bit of a a bit of a free roamer in this team who can just do a little bit of a little bit of anything. He's got that license to just do as he pleases, really, because he's that sort of player with that technical ability. So he looks a really, really good find for Norwich. But as you mentioned there, the form is coming together, particularly at Carrow Road now. It's it's three wins in a row at home. And as well, they've got a point on Southampton on New Year's Day. So they've had a good haul of points at home so far. 10 points on 12 this calendar year. But I think the key for Norwich now is having got themselves into a position where they cannot sort of now be considered as genuine contenders. I mean, a lot of people have said along, haven't they? You look at Coventry, they're in this race in the thick of it. Hull City, look at the signs they've made, they're in the thick of it. You've got to consider Norwich City in that bracket now. They're not sort of having a little push. They're firmly in the conversation to get to the top six now. I think the key for Norwich now is having won three of the last five games, two in the last three, you look at their next two games. If they're serious about getting in the playoffs this season, for me, they've got to be taking a good haul of points in these next two. They've got Cardiff at home this weekend. Cardiff having a bit of trouble at the minute. I think Norwich should be winning that game. Then the following weekend, Norwich go to Blackburn Rovers, who obviously are in transition now. New start, a new era under John Eustace. But Norwich should be looking at that and thinking Blackburn, obviously they won at the weekend beating Stoke City, but overall have been on a downward spiral since the beginning of December. If we're up and at it, go there, we can cause them problems. So, I think realistically, Norwich should be looking at six points in the next two. Four wouldn't be a disastrous return. That'd be quite healthy. But I think certainly this weekend at home to Cardiff, they should be looking at saying this should be three points. This is a game we've got to win if we're serious. So David Wagner, you've got to give him huge credit because he looked like a man whose life was fading fast, so to speak, in terms of his managerial status at Carrow Road. And like you say, that late win at Cardiff, that sensational comeback that they produced in November ultimately was the point that saved his job. Had they have lost that game, it would have been five defeats in a row and six defeats in seven. So really, it would have been very hard for him to survive that if they'd lost that game. But since then, they've turned it around. They've only lost four games since, and all of which have been by a one-goal margin. So they've been in the majority of the games as well. That's the thing. But in the last few weeks, certainly at the start of this calendar year, they've really, really stepped it up. They've beaten teams in and around them, beaten West Brom, beaten Coventry at home beat Hull away, of course, as well late on. So they've proven that they can sort of mix and beat the teams in and around them, which is key. They're not just beating those at the lower end of the table that they should be beating. So I think there's a lot to like about Norwich at the minute. They're playing some good football. They're scoring goals as well. That's the key thing. They are putting the ball in the net. Eight goals scored in the last three games. So they're knowing where the net is. And, you know, aside from that FA Cup defeat at Liverpool, where they took a bit of a trouncing, which any championship team would do with the way Liverpool play their football at Anfield. It's been a really, really good start to the year for Norwich and long may it continue. But like I say, these next two games feel pivotal after that to start March. Sunderland at home, who of course, still well and truly in the race. Bit up and down Sunderland at the minute, but that could be a big game in defying those two seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's certainly um, a good feeling around Preston North End at the moment. They beat Middlesbrough 2-1. 
Um, goals from Liam Miller and Emil Reese Jakobsen, who's made a really big impact since coming back from injury. You never know when someone gets a serious knee injury, how they'll react, how they'll recover. Uh, it's took Reese a little bit longer, I think, in terms of his comeback than initially hoped. I think, you know, there was a few little setbacks, a few minor tweaks. But once he's got back on the pitch, he's really hitting his stride now. And although he's a big striker, he's very mobile. He's someone that likes to run the channels. He does offer um, a physical and threat in terms of going in behind. And that that can create space for uh, Will Keane, for Mads Frokia Jensen, who's been absolutely terrific in the last few weeks. I thought Jensen started the season really well. He looked really good. Bit of a maverick to add into this Ryan Lowe side. And then when Preston's form tailed off, Ryan Lowe sort of diverted, reverted to type, took him out of the team, didn't really trust him, I think, a little bit as he went a bit more solid, a bit more with the soldiers in midfield. But now Preston on a really good run. The confidence is high. Jensen is at the, uh, Frocker Jensen is at the forefront of that, creating, tackling as well, doing his bit defensively, but playing as those as one of those dual tens and with um, Will Keane as well in good goal scoring form. They look, they look a threat. Um, Miller played on the right-hand side in this one with, with Robbie Brady on the left and, and still looked just as dangerous. And yeah, the form in particular um, at Deepdale has been really impressive. To beat Ipswich, to beat Middlesbrough back-to-back games, that's put them right in the playoff mix again. Um, and it, it's how they sustain it. We obviously saw them make a really, really good start to the season. Then they really, really tailed off. Now it'll be interesting to see how, how they go over the next few games. They've got Blackburn at home on Saturday. They then go away to Coventry and then they then host Hull City. So they're going to be in the mix. Playing Blackburn at home, Coventry away and Hull City at home is pretty much going to define how you do. Then they go to Southampton um, and then it's Stoke and Plymouth before the international break. So I think we're going to see in these next six games a really good indication of whether Preston have got the credentials and the staying power to stay within it because they've, they've had spells in previous seasons under Ryan Lowe where they've been one or two points off the playoffs. Everyone's got to get got a bit giddy. I remember them winning at um, QPR last season with sort of six games to go. Um, Cannon scoring, uh, not last season, sorry, the season four. Cannon, Cannon on the score sheet and, and everyone's like, oh, maybe, maybe they could get a late run. And they just didn't quite have it in them. I remember losing at Sheffield United and those explosive Ryan Lowe comments sort of coming out and that was the end of their top six pushing um top six push last season and this season they started so well then they dropped off they're now level on points with the top six with with uh coventry albeit hull have got a game in hand and albeit they've got three teams above them but i think this is a real marker of where preston can go if they can pick up a good point haul in, in what's to come in what is going to be a very decisive run of games certainly is and all of a sudden you've got a You've got to give Ryan Lowe a lot of credit because he was a man very similarly, perhaps even more so than David Wagner, who was in big, big trouble, certainly with the supporters. Preston fans had obviously had enough of Ryan Lowe. They were calling for change. Well, not calling for it. They were demanding change. They were absolutely screaming it. They wanted him gone and a change and a shift in direction. But I think the, the big thing for Preston, realistically, obviously they've won the last three games, which is really impressive, taking 10 points in the last 12, is that the way they've sort of found a little bit of momentum at home, Four wins in the last five at Deepdale now. And it's quite surprising that the only team they've lost to in that run was Sheffield Wednesday, obviously struggling at the other end of the table. I think so when we think of Preston at their best under Ryan Lowe, it's been performances at Deepdale that have been particularly impressive. It is. It? They've got to have the home on point if they're going to mount a serious challenge. 
Yeah, because that's the thing. They've only they've only won two away games since beating Blackburn on the tenth of November. They've only beaten Huddersfield and Cardiff away from home. So there's certainly more scope for them to do a little bit more away from home. But at home, if they can continue to pick up the points, it's going to be really key. But as you've mentioned there in the next crop of games, they've got some tough ones coming up. You mentioned there Coventry and Hull in the coming weeks. They're really, really big tests. So you certainly get the sense that Saturday's game with Blackburn is a is a must-win for Preston, really, if they're just to stay in this fight a little bit longer ahead of you know, games against tougher opposition. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what Preston can do because we saw at the start of the season that they are capable of putting a run of games together. But as we've seen many, many times in previous seasons, there is always one or two teams that start seasons at a rapid pace unexpectedly and then fall away. Whether the same will happen for Preston again, whether they've just provided a little bit of false hope, I'm not sure. But like we've said with Norwich, they've got to be considered genuine candidates now. They're on the same points. In the back of your mind, you might sort of think, yeah, they might tail away. But at the moment, they're in the thick of the race. You've got to respect them for that. And Ryan Lowe deserves credit for finding a little bit of momentum. Like you said, Mads Frockar Jensen's just unlocked things a little bit. He's found a little bit of momentum. Emil Reese coming back is a huge boost. He's got a couple of goals and an assist in his last three games. And I think it's easy to forget because he was out for so long. Just how good Emil Reese on the whole has been in front of goal for Preston. He's a really good player. And it feels like he's been around forever and yet he's only 25. So there's certainly more scope for him to get better and better. And you'd like to think if he if he ends the season with a bit of a flourish, Preston might be able to keep holding in front of the year in the fact that He's been out injured, for a while, I believe. Been out, been out for a while, injured. So teams might not be as forthcoming with bids for him. So there's certainly scope for Preston to retain him for for next season as well, because he is a very, very good player. And I mean, you look at his numbers for this season. He's only played eight games, but already he's got two goals and two assists. So it's not a bad return for somebody who's played eight matches after so long out. So he's going to be key to their chances. Likewise, their home form. But at the minute, you've got to credit them: three wins in a row. I often say it's no easy thing to achieve in the championship. No game is easy. And I think you've got to credit Preston for that because it's it's very easy to look at their last last few games and say, yeah, Ipswich, they put up a hell of a fight in the second half, very nearly got something out of that game, but Preston did cling on. Then it's all swings and roundabouts because you could say Preston was seconds away away at Leeds from getting a point, conceding a penalty in the 94th minute. And had they avoided defeat in that game, Preston would be sitting here now six games unbeaten. So, very, very fine margins. And it will be little moments like that that could decide the season for so many teams this year. But at the moment, Ryan Lowe deserves credit for putting Preston back in a position where the fans expect to be. They do demand higher expectations at Deepdale than perhaps, say, those in the boardroom are willing to spend towards, shall we say. Preston fans obviously have been disgruntled with the lack of spending power in recent years and managers not getting subsequent backing. But at the moment, I think Ryan Lowe, yeah, he's had to survive some choppy waters at times this season. There's no doubt about that. They have had some really, really bad results. Certainly those Tonkins they took from the likes of Middlesbrough and Watford. But somehow, and I say the same for Norwich as well, who obviously have, they've taken a bit of a battering from the fans this year. They're in a position and it, it's almost weird because you look at the likes of Hull and Coventry, their supporters are absolutely lauding the way that their seasons have gone so far, having the times of their lives. And Norwich, uh, Norwich and Preston fans have almost been a little bit disjointed and depressed with how things have gone this season. And yet here we are, what, two-thirds of the way, almost all of the season, not far off now, where they're all on 48 points each. So the fact we've got four on 48, 
is quite remarkable, really. It's shaping up to be a really close battle. But the one thing that Preston have got to be mindful of in this race, if it does get really, really tight towards the end of the campaign, is that their goal difference is considerably worse compared to everyone else's in this mix. You look at Hull there on five, Coventry 13, Preston minus eight. So that's certainly a problem where Ryan Lowe's got to try and address things. If he can just sort of tighten up at the back a little bit, then they might be all right. But at the minute, they're in the thick of the race. Will they be in, be in it come the end of the season? Time will tell. But the next few weeks, prize that international break in March feels key, just as it does for so many, to be fair. Hull just finally. I, I, I do think that the pressure would have started to grow a little bit had they not come from behind to win at Rotherham. They lost to Swansea on Saturday and, and did not play well. Though It was a pretty lethargic, a pretty uninspiring attacking performance. And the pressure, when you go and spend the money that Hull have spent and bring in the calibre of players like Anasaruri, like Fabio Carvalho, the pressure is going to ramp up. Um, Jaden Philogene is back now. And I don't think the Rabona goal is as good as everyone's saying, which is not going to earn me any friends. Right, the nutmeg is lovely. It's great footwork. It's a known goal, first and foremost. It takes a massive deflection. You can't see it particularly on the angle that is the one that's been used by most of the mainstream media. But there is a reverse angle where you can see it, and it's quite clear that it's not going in. And it's not even a shot. It's, it's, it's a miss-hit cross. And that, that takes away some of the sparkle for me, the fact he's not even tried to do it. He's tried to cross it, and it's took a massive deflection and gone in. I, I just struggle to lose my mind over a goal that is, yes, it's brilliant skill. Of course it is to, to attempt that. I'm a little bit underwhelmed by Rabona's generally because I don't really see the point. This is the oldest thing I've ever said. I sound like I'm about 50. Just use your opposite foot generally is my approach. But on this one, I understand sort of why he's done it because I don't think he'd be able to quite get round it. But it's it's just, it's not, it's, it's not even a great cross, is it? But it takes a massive deflection and goes in. So I'm struggling to lose my mind over it. Is that really old? It sounds really old when I've just said it out loud. Can I be truthful? It feels like we're I mean, the opposite way around because we got a tweet last week saying someone thought you were 55 and that was absolutely yeah. fantastic. That That's probably made my week, actually. I really enjoyed that. Good. I'm glad about that. Anyway, Jaden Philogene's goal. I'm with you. I no. think it is an own goal. I it think it is an own goal. There's no debate about the, whether it's an the own e- goal or not. The EFL came out on, when was it? Wednesday afternoon and, and declared it was his goal. That's I've not, seen the ang- I've seen the angle that you're referring to. It takes a wicked deflection, which everybody's accepted at the time. But if you look at that angle, to me, that is not going in the net until it no, takes that. It's going it. wide of Johansson's far post. So personally, yeah, everybody's going to talk about it for years. This audacious, great goal. But in my opinion, I am with you, and we're going to get probably hammered for this. But even and- if it had gone straight in, it is a cross. It is, but it's, if it goes straight Cohen in, Bramall's goal the other like over Christmas where he just crossed into the net against Middlesbrough. If it goes straight in, it is quite special. You've got to admit for the Rabona technique. It. Don't matter if you meant it or not, but if it goes in without any form of touch and just flies over your hands and goes in, it is a good goal. But I, 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 I personally think intent. It depends what you like. I think intent definitely is a large part of how good a goal is. But, I think we can both agree, whether we think it was a good effort or not a good effort, that the deflection has changed the direction of the ball and it's taken it in. For me, it is an own goal. There's no doubt about it. So when it comes to the end of 2024 and we put a thread together, the Championship's best goals of the calendar year, don't be surprised if this doesn't feature because 
personally, it should be, and you should say, "What a goal by Cameron Humphreys or whoever it was that flicked it into the yeah, net." Yeah, it was an own goal. So yeah, I'm, we're going to take pelters for this. It's inevitable. We're going to get hammered. But I stand, I stand by it and say it was an own goal. Jaden Philogene, though, a ridiculous talent. Let's just say yeah, that we're not absolutely. mocking Jaden Philogene by any stretch of the imagination. He's a fabulous player and lovely, he's quite remarkable. Hull, quite remarkable that Hull got him for such a relatively low cost fee for for how good he's proven to be. And for them, he's going to be key in their hopes of getting in the top six. Likewise, Zorori and Fabio Cavallio and all the other attacking talent they've got available to them. But away from that goal that is an own goal. I think it's important to talk about Huddersfield collectively and just in the sense of how big a victory this Can was. Can question? Go on then. What do you think Liam Rossini's favourite US state is? I have no idea. Ohio, because it was a very good goal and very important goal for them to, to get a 2-1 win. Fair enough. <laughs> but no, I think when you look at Hull collectively, this was a vitally important win because... I was looking at some whole data actually last week ahead of their game with Swansea on Saturday and Hull at no point this season had won three league games in a row. And I looked at that home game against Swansea and I thought, this is a game, if you're certain about the top six, you've got to be winning this sort of game. Swansea obviously went went up to the MKM Stadium and won 1-0. Hull fans reading their comments on social media last Saturday, even a lot of them did say, to be fair, that Swansea with the better side and did a really, really good job on them and played some nice football. So you've got to credit Swansea for that. But for Hull, realistically, if their results are going to continue with a pattern of stop, start, stop, start, it is a little bit concerning. They seem to struggle to get some momentum going. It's very, very bitty, their form. I must admit, their form, certainly since the start of December, has read as two defeats, two wins, two defeats, a win, two defeats, two wins, a defeat, a win. It's very, very stop-start. So they need to find a way to get a little bit of momentum going for me. On the flip side, though, when you take into account the win at Rotherham, you can either view it as getting back on track or you can view it as three wins in four games, which is not a bad return. So the swings and roundabouts to it all, you can look at it in two different ways. But for me, as a personal little gripe against teams in this position, you've got to show that little bit of momentum and that ability to go on a bit of a run of run of positive results. Try and- to get three points, is that what you're saying? Yeah, as Neil Warnock would say, but I died to get three points. By the way, speaking of Neil Warnock, just throwing this in, did we see his comeback with Aberdeen last night? Remarkable. I saw that, that he's was the Aberdeen manager. I, I don't yeah. pay attention. Scotland, Scottish football doesn't really exist in my, my strategy. No, maybe not, but 3-0 down against Motherwell and he fought back to 3-3. Neil Warnock, masterclass. Don't, think, is I, it that I hard? don't think I could name more than four Scottish teams. <laughs> But no, well, you brought Warner Cup, so I thought I'd throw that in just for anybody that's interested because everybody loves the King. But for Hull, going back to them, the next three games, really, really important for me. Huddersfield away this coming weekend. Realistically, Huddersfield, as we're going to touch on at the bottom shortly, Huddersfield are a team that are just beginning to find a little bit of momentum themselves. Two wins in their last three games and obviously pushed Southampton all the way last weekend. But beyond that, Hull, Southampton away, then West Bromwich Albion at home. They're two really, really big games. And I think if Hull is serious about getting into the top six, you look at those next three games, I think realistically, you've got to be talking about a minimum of six points. If you're genuinely, with the talent they've got, the quality that they've got, certainly forward areas, they've got to start flexing their muscle a little bit more. And I think another thing for Hull as well is, yeah, all wins are great. They get you three points, whether you score one goal or seven goals, whatever but they've not won by more than a one-goal margin since mid-December. 
that's certainly an area Liam Rossini with the attacking talent he's got. He's got to try and find a little bit more from his front men to put teams to the sword. So Hull certainly in a position that you've got to you've got to praise. You've got to be encouraged by it. They're right in the thick of it. But for me personally, just got to show a little bit more momentum to prove that they are genuinely capable of getting into the playoffs and then going up as well. Because let's be honest, they've got a very, very talented squad at their disposal. And a very expensively assembled squad at their disposal too. Um, let's look at the picture at the bottom of the championship table too. Um, we've got Huddersfield to keep on winning. They're, they're in fantastic form. They beat Sunderland 1-0. Biggest game at the bottom was Stoke beating QPR 1-0 as well. I want to touch on Millwall as well because they're getting dragged into it. And the, the points that QPR, Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield are picking up in particular at the moment means that Millwall, Stoke, Birmingham, Swansea, Blackburn all dragged back into it really. You know, Rovers probably thought they were clear after going seven points uh, clear. They are still seven points clear, but with the way QPR are winning, with the way Huddersfield and um, Huddersfield are winning points as well, Millwall and Stoke dropping in particular over the last few weeks, that, that suddenly four into three is no longer. I think we can we can cast Rotherham off at the bottom. I think they are dead and buried now. Wednesday obviously lost at Leicester. The big game was Stoke and they had to win. It was really toxic at the weekend. Obviously, I watched Blackburn beat uh, Stoke 3-1, deservedly so. It was really, really toxic in that away end. You know, the, the boos were just as loud as the celebrations when Rovers made it 2-0. Screams of you're not fit to wear the shirt. There was videos after the match of, of Valt Berger going into the crowd um, and, and having conversations um, with the Stoke City fans who were not happy, it's fair to say. And Schumacher's come under a, a bit of criticism and understandably so as well. Um, he doesn't know what his best team is. Um, he, he's had to chop and change. He, he went a little bit defensive this one. He put Chamado, he brought uh, Hoover back, put Chamado on the wing. Uh, Bay, who played as a number 10 at Ewood Park, went onto the wing. Daniel Johnson came out. Niall Ennis um, scored against Blackburn, started again. Baker coming in. Valberg is someone that I suppose he's kind of built around a little bit. He's had the captain's armband on in the last few weeks with Baker on the bench. Uh, and he's, he's trying to deliver. He does look like a bit of a leader for this team. Scored the decisive goal. And given how poor Stokes' home form as well has been, you did wonder whether this was going to end Stokes City nil, QPR 1, because it had that sort of look about it, um, if we're being honest. QPR really missed having Chris Willock. Um, he was on the bench. Joe, uh, Joe Hodges coming in and done a good job. Um, but this was just, I, it really didn't matter what this looked like in terms of the performance. It just had to be three points for Stoke City. And that's their first win um, at home since the end of October, believe it or not. So hopefully for Stephen Schumacher, this could be a bit of a catalyst to, to get themselves out of this hole, but by no means are they out of it. No, they're certainly not. It was just one of those games where, like you said, by hook or by crook, they had to win this game by every way possible after losing four in a row and obviously being so poor at Blackburn, they needed a response, however it came. And fortunately for them, they did get it to just put themselves a little bit, of sort of inject a little bit more relief into their veins more than anything. They're certainly not out of the woods yet. And you look at Stoke's upcoming, upcoming crop of fixtures and it's a tough run. It is a really tough run when they've got to come. They've got Coventry at home this weekend. Not going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. Then they've got Cardiff away. That's probably the easiest of their upcoming run of games because beyond that, they've got Middlesbrough, they've got Leeds, they've got Preston, they've got Norwich, they've got Hull. That is a really, really tough run. There's some big games coming up there for Stephen Schumacher. And I think the thing now for him is 
are they going to be able to sort of build on this win over QPR? Is it going to prove to be nothing more than a false dawn and a flash in the pan? So a really big victory in isolation, but it's a case of can they build on it? Can they move forward? Can they sort of open up a little bit of a gap to those behind them? Because after the weekend, they desperately needed this win. They really did. But I think when you look at the landscape at the bottom, I think Sheffield Wednesday are a team that are in increasing danger because of their away form. And that's not sort of me saying that off the back of the defeat at Leicester in midweek, because I'm a Wednesday fan, as everybody knows, listening to this 2-0 defeat at Leicester. I was I was quite satisfied with, to be fair, that it wasn't sort of five or six. I was reasonably happy with that. Never expected anything. I watched the game. Second half, Wednesday, to be fair, actually looked the better side. They just gift wrapped Leicester, the opening goal, and sort of lost the way from there, really. So Wednesday Millwall this weekend, that feels like an absolutely huge game. Arguably the biggest game in the division this weekend. Millwall, if they if they win that, they go 10 points clear of Wednesday in the table. Wednesday win it, they bring the gap back down to four. So it's a huge one at the den. It's massive. But Wednesday's away form, as we know, is really, really poor. QPR, yeah, they've beaten by Stoke, but they've not had a bad start to the year, really. They've had a little bit of momentum in the last three or four weeks, buzzing in and around. I think... We're at the point now where probably can write Rotherham off. I just can't see them clawing this back now. They're, they're 14 points from safety. For me, it's too big a gap. Huddersfield, they're, they're turning the corner, it feels like. Two wins in the last three. Obviously, pushed Southampton all the way as well. Obviously, yet to appoint a permanent manager. Will they allow John Worthington to continue for the rest of the season? Time will tell, but it does sound like they, they're trying to get something done reasonably quickly. And then, obviously, Stoke, Birmingham... Swansea even, maybe still in it, Blackburn as well. Nothing can be discounted yet, but it certainly looks better for the likes of Blackburn and Swansea than it did this time last week because of those wins that they got at the weekend, even though they were both obviously beaten in midweek. So I think a lot of it does rest for Sheffield Wednesday, certainly on this game in Millwall at the weekend. It feels like a huge game for, for the Owls. It really does. Wednesday's fixture list does get a little bit easier in the coming weeks. I say easier, well, I say easier, but when you consider they've played Southampton, Leicester, Coventry like 300 times in the last three, four weeks. You know, it's been a tough run for Danny Rills, men, and they did beat Birmingham among that, and they did get a point at home to Watford. So the home form for Wednesday is going to be absolutely crucial for their chances. QPR still think they've got the individual talent to give it a go, but Millwall obviously in a bit of a mess at the minute. So hard to call at the moment. Let's touch on Millwall. Obviously, it's not really worked out since Joe Edwards came in. They've had a few... Flashes, obviously they won 4-0 in his first game at Hillsborough. They went on a, a free game winning run around Christmas time as well, where they beat some of the teams in around them, including, including QPR. Uh, but they're, they're certainly in it and, and the team seems devoid of confidence. You know, Zian Fleming, they rejected big bids from him for Burn, from Burnley in the summer. He's not hit the same heights this season and, and it just hasn't clicked at all really, has it? Now it's going to take time, but Millwall are right in this relegation battle. They are. It's it's five defeats in six now, following last night. We record this last night's defeat to Ipswich Town, and where they were absolutely humbled. They were beaten four nil. So they are in a bit of trouble at the moment. Millwall. They've only taken one point from the last eighteen available after starting the year with a third consecutive victory. So Joe Edwards is in. He's in big trouble at the minute in terms of needing results. I don't think it's a case where you're sort of saying he's got to be sacked because I think it was always going to be a long-term appointment for Millwall. I don't think it makes sense to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't. I don't because he's a young manager. He's been brought in with a clear philosophy of implementing a long-term plan. Obviously, after picking up the baton from Gary Rowett for several years, and Millwall is actually a club renowned for 
sort of hiring and firing quickly. They do seem to give managers a fair crack of the whip. So it the will be changed by the fact. Yeah, that it has. It, obviously, with the tragic events the of the owner away, yeah. recently, so it's, it'll be to see what what the new approach is, I suppose. It will be, but I think it's wise to stick with him for now. Certainly for now, anyway. But the game with Sheffield Wednesday on on Saturday is is a massive game for both clubs. It's absolutely huge. Millwall win that, they might look over the shoulders and think, right, Wednesday are ten points behind us now. Maybe it's just QPR we try and need to stave off the threat of. But if Wednesday win it, all of a sudden that gap's down to four, and four points compared to currently seven points sounds very very small indeed. So. It's a big time for Millwall, a big run of games coming up. But like we said, Stoke winning in midweek, Birmingham winning in midweek, Huddersfield as well. Great results for them. Huddersfield probably the ones with a bit of confidence flowing through their veins at the minute. We should, touch on, uh, we should touch on Huddersfield a little bit more. John Worthington's done a really good job since he's come in, steadied the ship, um, beat obviously Sunderland, nearly beat Southampton, beat Sheffield Wednesday. They, they've turned up and, and, and I think the style of play in particular has been pretty much a perfect caretaker reign because you want to come in, you want to play an attacking style to try and certainly if you're not expect, you know, you're not really anticipated to be in the running for the job perfectly or to, to have it for an extended period of time. But suddenly the Huddersfield ball can take a little bit more time with their decision-making. They've not had to rush. They've still um, narrowing down candidates. We're into what the second full week of, of third full week, sorry, of um, Darren Moore having left, who's gone to Port Vale on a five and a half year deal, by the way, which is bonkers. Um, Matty Pearson with the goal. We know he's he's very good to him. Him and Helic are going to be better than most strikers in terms of goals by the end of the season, in terms of what they can contribute. But yeah, Huddersfield have been much improved in the last few weeks. They look like the shackles have come off. Yeah, they do. They do. They've been much more with it and much more expansive. And I think the fact that they went to Southampton and scored three. Yes, they they lost that game in the end, but they gave Southampton one hell of a fright leading 2-0, then leading 3-2. But it goes to show that just with a little bit of injection of confidence and just sort of momentum restored, Huddersfield can play some decent football. But I look at their next six games prior to the international break and there's a there's a mixed bag of opponents in there, but there are some really difficult ones. You look at the, the home games in particular, Hull City, Leeds, West Brom, they're some really, really big opponents to overcome. Away from home, they've got to go to Watford, who generally have been pretty good at Vicarage Road this season. They've not been too bad. Then you've got Cardiff away and Rotherham away. So I think Huddersfield have got to look at the trips to Cardiff and Rotherham and say, if we're going to get points within the next six, those are the two games where we've really got to make it count because Leeds at home, West Brom at home, Hull at home as well are going to be tough tests. So I think Huddersfield will certainly be feeling a hell of a lot more confident than they were three weeks ago. There's no doubt about that. Six points from nine. You know, they've scored a decent amount of goals in those games as well, plundering eight goals in three games. It's a hell of a lot better than the, the, albeit the low standard they'd set to build from. But they've given themselves a hell of a chance now. And that win over Sunderland on on Wednesday nights just put themselves with a little bit more daylight, five points now, the gap between themselves and QPR in twenty third, uh, 22nd, should I say, then a further few points back to Sheffield Wednesday. So he's certainly looking a hell of a lot better. Will John Worthington want the gig on a full-time basis? Personally, I don't think it would be the wisest of choices because we always see manage, caretaker managers come in and get a little bit of a bounce. See, Danny then Schofield the will be ringing in the ears, won't it? Yeah, and then they get the job on a full-time basis and we see how disastrous it can go. So I think for John Worthington's own reputation, 
It might be why if someone else gets the job permanently, but he's done a hell of a job in the last couple of weeks. He really has just to inject new life into that team. So at the minute, I think it's still very, very hard to say. I think Sheffield Wednesday, though, are just beginning to fade a little bit when you consider they've only won two games this calendar year so far. But like I've said, the fixture list does ease for them. It does look easier, even though there's no such thing as an easy game in this league. But like I said, they went to Leicester the other night and yeah, they were beaten 2-0, which is not the most disastrous of results, really, when you look at the golfing class. But second half, they did certainly produce something where you thought if they can build on this against lesser teams, they might have a chance. So that trip to Millwall on Saturday is absolutely enormous for them, as, as it is for Millwall. So really, really big weekend coming up. And then we'll see how things go from there. Next for Wednesday after that is Bristol City at home, which won't be easy because they're obviously on a bit of a good run themselves at the minute. So I still stand by my prediction, though, that I think Wednesday will drop. I really do. I just think that ultimately that first 10 games under Chisco Munoth is going to cost them where they were just so, so poor. But I said QPR would get out of it and Huddersfield would go. Whereas now, perhaps, maybe they'll both get out of it and Millwall might drop because they look in the biggest crisis at the minute with their current form. So, big weekend ahead. And I'm sure our opinions will be swayed by this time next week because there's just drama after drama at this stage of the season. So, we'll see how it all unfolds. But I think we can probably both agree on the fact that at the minute, it looks as though Rotherham are well and truly doomed and gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with a third of the season to go, we will be right across the running on the Championship Chat podcast and we'll be back next Thursday to break down the biggest headlines from the Championship. Thank you for listening as always. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from. And another big thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments or monthly payments, make sure you follow them and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.